Welcome to Let's Talk Sales, the podcast that's all things sales and business development. This podcast series is for CEOs that are looking to build strong companies, sales VPs and sales managers that want to take things to the next level, and salespeople that are looking to improve. This podcast is brought to you by the Criteria for Success Sales Growth Program. Are you looking to experience a breakthrough in your team's sales? Have you tried sales training in the past but were unable to make it stick? The Criteria for Success Sales Growth Program is a year-long engagement that combines sales and leadership training, a digital sales playbook, and a coaching and accountability process that will change your sales culture and drive sustained growth. Learn more at criteriaforsuccess.com. Today's podcast is actually a bit unique. We are going to be covering the three different series in one our sales leaders talk sales, advice from authors, and our conversations with coaches. So this episode is sure to be full of gems for our audience today. I'm really excited. This is Rebecca Toomey, and today I'm talking to Deb Calvert. Deb is the author of Discover Questions and Stop Selling and Start Leading. She's the founder of the Sales Experts Channel, a UC Berkeley instructor, and a certified sales and executive coach. And I'd like to go ahead and throw in here what a huge fan I am of Deb and her work. She has been named one of the 65 most influential women in business and a top 30 global sales guru. guru. And her incredible content and coaching helps people everywhere. And I know this for a fact because she has personally helped me. So Deb, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you, Rebecca, for inviting me to to join you today. I'm a fan, too. I'm I'm really enjoying Let's Talk Sales and this month's focus on targeting. Uh, As as president of People First Productivity Solutions, I work with organizations to boost employee engagement and customer satisfaction by putting people first. So my research, writing, speaking, training, coaching, and consulting, they, they focus on getting people connected in ways that can make us all more productive and more satisfied, just like what you're trying to do here. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I guess you could call me a fangirl, right? I'm a, I'm Deb, I'm a Deb fangirl. <laughs> it goes both ways. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Well, girl power, girl power to yes. you. <laughs> and I'm really excited about the unique questions that I have set up for today because, like I said, we're going to be talking about you as an author and your experience as a coach and your experience as a sales leader. So this is really going to be a great episode. I'm really excited for our listeners I hope you're, everyone is, you know, tied down right now, ready to experience all this great stuff. <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm ready. You are definitely my first guest to have experience that fits under all of our series, which is, was really cool. And uh, you're a sales leader. You're an author. You're a coach. You're a mentor. What don't you do? <laughs> oh, well, I learned the hard way. What I don't want to do is... Um, I don't want to do rehabilitation work. Okay. So okay. <laughs> I don't I like I certainly, it. yeah. I, I, people first is really important to me. And at the beginning, 13 years ago, I thought I'd go into companies where they didn't have that approach to business and they didn't have that mindset and that maybe I could just, oh, you know, fix everything. Mm-hmm. And I worked with a couple of the companies that routinely show up on the top 10 worst places in the world to work. Oh, no. <laughs> and it, that was just too hard. I was going to um, say, how, how did that turn out? How did that go? <laughs> well, you know, here's the good news. They recognized that they had a people problem, that, that their employees were not engaged, that their customers weren't satisfied, that, that there were serious 
issues that were hurting their businesses because they weren't putting people first. So mm -hmm. awareness, right? That's, that's a starting point. Mm -hmm. But what was lacking there was commitment and a consultant, an outsider, no matter how long they stay with you, they know how matter how big they are, they can't do it for you. So if inside the organization, you don't mean it when you say you want to take care of your, your people, your number one asset, mm -hmm. well, nobody's going to fix it for you. They can only coach you and help you. And if, if you don't take those steps, then it won't change. Definitely. So let's back up a little. Can we, let's back up, go back in time a little bit. I'd love for you to share more about your story and kind of your career journey, how you got to where you are now and the pathway that led you here. Yes. Well, I worked 13 and a half years ago for a Fortune 500 company. I was the director of sales and training, and that eventually came to encompass leadership development. And I traveled between the 31 markets and, and helped set up training programs, and I trained trainers and coaches and instituted training courses and leadership development programs. It was awesome. And this was a company that was not on that worst places to work. In fact, it was just the Good. opposite. Good. We won a lot of awards for, for really developing people and, and doing things well. Awesome. It was, but then something happened. The company went up for sale. Ah, that happens. Yeah, that happens. It does, but it was like almost overnight. Somebody flipped a switch and it was no longer about putting people first. It was about profit because they wanted to be as sellable as possible at the highest possible price. And it was about processes and it was about procedures and policies and programs and Somehow people just got entirely left out of the equation. I had that contrast though, when I set out on my own, like so many of your listeners probably have set out on their own because you're forced to, right? I, I didn't want to go to work for somebody else. I'd only recently moved to the place where I live to take that corporate role. Didn't want to move again. So I set out on my own and I had one burning desire, which was in my company, it was going to be about people first. It wasn't going to be about all that other stuff, no matter what happened. And that's how I got started. And, and that's still my passion. That That's what I really hope I'm doing every day. I love that. What a great story. And I, I love the way that your career path led to also what your business name is, People First. It's also your mission at the same time. It is. And it's a mouthful. People first, productivity solutions. You know, I I just couldn't live without the productivity piece of it because uh, <laughs> that does matter. Yeah. But you only, you only get that if you develop people and treat them well. That's right. And that is right. But now I want to also talk to you about the other things that you're involved in, which we all, I know very well, the Sales Experts Channel, which is an awesome portal for people that are looking for any content, training, advice, peers to lean on. It's just a community um, for sales professionals to go to for that kind of stuff. I don't know if you want to share a little bit about that channel and what kind of inspired you to, to get that started. Yes. Thank you. A um, couple of years ago, I realized because I'm, I'm networked pretty well, but I realized there wasn't one place where people could go and get content on virtually any topic they needed in the moment to help them in sales. So I invited other people who are authors, speakers, um, 
coaches, trainers in the selling space, people who have a, a, a big following and are willing to share other people's content. And I invited them to join me in this thing that we called the, the Sales Experts Channel. And now, two years later, we have nearly 200 webinars. We've had over 100 sales experts present. And actually, by the end of this year, we'll, we'll be right around 300. So that, that number is really growing in terms of webinars. And they're all indexed on our website, thesalesexpertschannel.com. So you can go for free and get on demand whatever you need. Mm -hmm. Every topic about selling and sales management is, is something that, that you'll find there, and it's all indexed and easy to find and free because that was the, the mission here was that we just give something back to the sales community. I love that about it. And I love that it's so many different voices and so many different people that are in our industry, right, that are in business development, business growth as an industry. There's a lot of different perspectives, which is a cool thing to see. So definitely listeners, if you are a sales manager, sales VP, salesperson, even if you're a CEO, there's amazing content on there. So definitely check out the Sales Experts channel. And I will also throw a link to it in the show notes for today's show, criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 101. Awesome. And now you're also an author. You have written two books now. I'll go ahead and mention, I had mentioned in the intro, actually, Discover Questions, which was your first book, correct? Yes. Uh, it's a little over five years old now. Awesome. So what pushed you to write that book in particular? What problems were you seeing? Well, the first problem I saw was when I was a salesperson myself. So going back a lot of years now, <laughs> and uh, when I first took a job in selling in an outside territory, I went to the library to find books on sales. I found one, and that was Spin Selling, mm -hmm. which was great. It was yeah. a wonderful way to, to get introduced to sales. But pretty soon, because I called on advertisers, and I had a territory where I met the same people over and over and over again, pretty soon just those four questions became oh, a little repetitive. And I was realizing that there were some other kinds of questions I was asking that were also very effective. Mm -hmm. So it was a curiosity at first, my own problem. And I just started keeping some notes about it. Fast forward, I moved into sales management, later into sales training, later into that corporate role. And all the, the while, I just kept collecting questions. And many of them were not SPIN, S-P-I-N questions. They were something else. So I started, oh, categorizing them and sorting them every once in a while. And in my corporate role, I had the incredible opportunity to work with the Salesforce Advisory Board through the Kellogg School at Northwestern. I was introduced to people from other industries, and we were working on research and projects together. So in addition to my 31 markets where there were trainers, coaches, and sales managers, I also was able to then to get some support from people in other industries. And that's when the research project went into formal, full-on mode. And all I did was I asked people, just, just gather questions that you hear salespeople asking on calls. Send me those questions. Send me, if you have, you know, an opportunity to jot down which questions seemed effective, send me that too. And then I bucketed these questions. This is a 20-year project. <laughs> I bucketed these questions. And I pretty soon decided, Rebecca, that there are only eight reasons that people ever ask questions. Only eight. Okay. I, I was looking for a while for nine because I, I had by then <laughs> latched onto the word that I wanted it to be discovery. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then one day I thought, you know, it discovers a word too. <laughs> yeah, it discovers just fine. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that's the acronym, eight okay. kinds of questions. Each letter stands for 
a purpose of asking a question. Okay, perfect. Awesome. <laughs> the reason I wrote the book, so that was all the research. I, people were asking for it. I had been, began doing training. I saw sellers when I was on coaching calls with them. I saw them just floundering to ask quality questions and, and to really engage their buyers. And then I saw them try to take what they learned in some sort of needs assessment process and then put it into a solution or a proposal. And, and they often didn't know how to translate and apply what they had heard because they were just asking a canned list of questions and had a lot of holes in it. They weren't quite sure what the purpose was of some of those questions they were asking. So I decided to write a book and put all those pieces together. That's awesome. Well, I'm glad that you did write it because you have helped so many people and I hope that those listening grab a copy as well. I will throw that as well in our show notes so you can find that at pod 101 is where we're at. And then now you're, you actually are, I'm not sure the actual release date of Stop Selling and Start Leading. When is the release date of that one? Um, it came out in, in April of 2018. Okay. So it's been out for a while now. Mm-hmm. And you are offering something that's really cool to our listeners today, which is a free first chapter of your book. Yes. And that chapter is especially good for anyone who thinks that selling, the work of selling, is a little icky. Um, it's the, <laughs> yeah. the stereotypes of selling sometimes cause you to feel apprehensive about doing the work of selling, then I think you'll like chapter one. It um, it starts with a story of someone, in fact, who left sales because she felt that she had to be pushy and she felt like she had to go get a personality transplant to be something that she wasn't authentically, which is unfortunate because I think she would have been an incredible salesperson had she known that that all those stereotypes were just not what it's truly about. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I hear that so, so, so much. Actually, a couple of years ago, Ariana and I here at the office, we, we had a little fun. We went to Bryant Park here in Manhattan one day and we decided to interview people. We just walked around with a video camera and microphone and we were like, hey, can we ask you some questions about what you think about salespeople? And, you know, mm-hmm. we got some people to respond, but some, you know, so some people, they'd sit down and they'd say, oh, yeah, great. I'd love to. We'd say, well, all right. When you think of a salesperson, what comes to mind? No one had anything positive to say. <laughs> Every person, oh, I think of the used car salesman. I think of pushy. I think of this. The first connotation that the public thinks when they think about someone who's selling, it, even even funny enough, one of the people that we ended up sitting down with was a business developer, had been business developer for I think about eight years and he was working at a firm right across the street. And even the way that he talked about it was hilarious to us. We're like, this is what you do. You're a salesperson and you know, this is what you think of our industry. And we've got to change that message because that's not, that's not who we are, right? That's not, we don't want that anymore. I don't want that anyway. Absolutely. I do similar kinds of, of research, sometimes just informally when I might have a, a group of people together in a, in a speaking engagement or in training. But the book, Stop Selling and Start Leading, we actually went really in-depth. We went straight to B2B buyers. Awesome. And we asked them a lot of questions. It was a, a, a huge panel study and got some great insights about what they were seeing from sellers, what they liked, what they didn't like, what they wanted to see more often. Awesome. Awesome. So as I had mentioned earlier, if you want to read the first chapter of Deb's book, Stop Selling and Start Leading, 
jump to the show notes, criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 101, and you can grab a copy of that and check out all the good stuff that that you will learn. And I, I can't wait to read it. I don't know if you saw my form come through the minute that you sent me that link, Deb, but <laughs> I did. Thank you. <laughs> she sends me a link to share with everybody else. I'm like, I got to read this. <laughs> now, of course, you're also a coach and mentor other. So how do you keep people motivated? Is there a magic formula for this? How do you get people to change? Maybe we could also use this for our husbands and wives. No, no I'm just kidding. Oh, maybe. <laughs> well, I do have some biases here. First of all, um, one of them is that I think questions are, are magic, not just in selling, but also in coaching. Okay. Because questions connect people to you. They, they, questions cause people to trust you. And questions promote self-discovery. So it's not you telling people or showing people what to do. As a coach, really that work is is the facilitation of people making some of their own discoveries and coming to some of their own conclusions. That's one of the ways they're going to be more motivated. Mm -hmm. They're going to buy in because it's their own idea. Mm -hmm. And this is not about manipulation at all. I want to be very clear about that. The word coach, I, I love word origins, and you might be interested to know that the word itself, coach, means to extract. So if that's the visual, right, if I'm coaching you, I am taking something that's already in you. Yes. And I'm yes. just helping you to pull it out so you can apply it in a way that's going to make you feel motivated and be more effective in, in the work that you're doing. Definitely. Extracting the best, right? I mean, that's what coaches, if you think about uh, a sports coach, a you know, high school baseball or basketball or football. I mean, their whole goal is just to bring out the best in their students, right? The best in their players. And it's the same thing in sales. As coaches focusing on pulling the best and making the best out of our team members, helping them to be the, the best version of themselves, which is also may or may not be what we consider to be what we want. You know, it's not about us, right? We got to kind of step out of the way. You bring up a really good point because often coaching gets confused with managing and mentoring. Mm -hmm. See, managing, that's where you tell people what to do. You have expectations, you're paying them a salary or, or doing something where you've got some positional power. So you, you manage, you get the work done that needs to get done today because you tell people what to do. Mm -hmm. And that is a valid choice at times. Mm -hmm. Mentoring is a little different. Mentoring is showing people and guiding people because you have a superior level of, of knowledge and some expertise that you can impart, but it's still coming from you. It's the direction is you to the other person. Definitely. But coaching, coaching, you're absolutely right. That's different than telling people. If we're extracting, it's now no longer me to you. It's me drawing from you and what comes from you, that's likely to trigger things like your intrinsic motivation which is much stronger than the extrinsic, the external motivation that I might uh, try to impose on you, even positively. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. you know, it's to you, not from you. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, so if you, can, if you can find a way to become all three of those as you run your business or even with your buyers, if you can work as a leader and as a mentor and as a coach slash facilitator, that's where relationships happen and bonds form and you become a lot more um, influential in getting the things done that you want to get done. Definitely. And I know here at our, in our, our organization at CFS, we're all coaches. We all coach each other. We're all coached. And we all ha we have this open community, which is a really cool thing. And I definitely encourage our listeners 
you may want to take this on because this works really well in our organization and the organizations that we work with. And that's just instilling this idea that everyone can be coached and help others to coach them. So an example of that would be if one person was to have a conversation with someone and then after feel, ah, maybe I shouldn't have said this this way, they can go to another person and say, hey, can I ask for some coaching? How did I, how did you feel about what I said? Did you, you know, do you have any advice for me? Should I go this way? Should I go that way? You can, you know, it's up to you how you're going to ask for that. Another thing that we also do here is we ask people if they're open to coaching because that's something that's important is unless someone is open to it, you're, you are kind of being a little bit more of a manager to say, you know, next time you might consider doing this is a lot different than saying, hey, are, are you open to some coaching on this? And that allows them to say yes or no, I'm really not in a headspace for this. I had a really hard time in that conversation. And then, you know, if they say, so if they say that, yes, I'm open to coaching, then that allows you an open door to give your advice, whatever that may be. Um, and of course, we encourage to always do that kindly with the most, you know, empathy and respect possible because, you know, you want to be respectful when you're sharing coaching advice, right? I don't know. What do you think about this technique, Deb? Oh, I think it's brilliant because people do have to be coachable. And, yes. and ready and yes. willing. And sometimes it's just a matter of timing. Mm-hmm. As you said, the headspace or the capacity for change. And until people are ready, trying to force fit them into a coaching engagement or into um, a self-discovery conversation, that's just extremely uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So yes, I do believe, as you said, that anyone can be coached and Everyone must be willing to be coached before it can be truly effective. Yes, definitely. And I, you know, I actually was thinking about what we were talking about earlier with questions. This, I'm getting off tangent now. Um, <laughs> but it reminded me when we were talking about asking the right questions, it, this actually, actually does pair fairly well with this idea of coaching, is a practice that I was taught by my dad, actually, who has been in sales for. 500 years. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> That's what he says. But he has been in sales my whole life. So I grew up with, you know, a father who's VP of sales. He's, you know, taught me all his business lessons. And the one thing that he does that's really a, a great way to start with questions is when someone says something, makes a statement or asks you something, he always says, interesting. And he pauses. He, of course, he has his own inflection for interesting, which I don't think I can replicate here today. He'll say, interesting. And he really is interested. You can tell by the way that he says it. I actually intentionally try to get him to say this phrase because I love when he does it. But he'll say, interesting. (laughs) How do you feel about that? Or what do you think about that? And then he turns it back on you and kind of – it was just reminded me of earlier when we were talking about conversations and how building relationships and putting people first is about asking questions that are going to allow them to open up and allow them to really respond, right? I would love to meet your dad, and I bet you use the, a technique like it. No, you, see, this is really the first mistake that that many salespeople make with questions. They ask a question, and as soon as they hear the vaguest hint of anything that says maybe there's a need, mm-hmm. they pounce. Mm-hmm. And when they pounce, they miss a whole lot. 
They miss some of the details. They miss giving the buyer an opportunity to magnify their own desire and interest as they continue talking. They miss the opportunity to know what's the real value, what's driving this potential need. And is it a real need or is it just something that kind of came out because they heard a side conversation about it before they came to this one. Right? We, we need to we need to find out more and drill down. So that's mm-hmm. your dad's simple technique is is super smart. It's simple. And he I don't know, man, he should have been a well, actually, he was, he's just fine being what he is right now. But it's kind of a I was, what I was going to say was he reminds me of a therapist in a way or of, you know, someone who you would sit down with and their job is to really ask you questions so that you yourself can uncover your own, whatever it is that you're, you know, kind of going through and that type of thing, rather than you say one thing and they tell you what to do, that's not obviously the goal. So it's kind of that discovery, that discovery-based questioning, right, that you were talking about and asking the right questions to develop the conversation forward and just allowing other people to talk. Um, I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but I had a great quote from Rich Sutton over at formerly Reader's Digest, now Trusted Media Brands. And he had told a story once about statistically they tracked the amount of time that their salespeople were speaking versus the time the prospect was speaking. Mm-hmm. And they basically what they found was that the longer the prospect speaks, the more time the prospect spends talking, the more likely a deal is to close. And the more time the salesperson spends talking, the less likely, which makes sense, right? But when we think about it in in these terms, it just it almost kind of encourages me when I'm talking to to other people and when I'm talking to prospects or I'm relationship building, I have to remind myself, ask questions, ask more questions. And if they answer, like you said, sometimes you get what you're getting is pretty shallow. So it's okay to ask a little bit more and to say, all right, well, how does that make you feel? Or what do you what do you think about that? It helps to really dive in a little bit deeper. Absolutely. And what you're describing there is the process of buying. Mm -hmm. See, nobody likes to be sold, but people do like to buy. There's a certain buyer euphoria as you talk yourself into it (laughs) and as you envision those possibilities and as you think about, because that's what you're doing when you're talking, You're, you're thinking and you're mentally preparing yourself. And we can shut that down if we do all the talking instead of being good listeners who ask great questions. Definitely. Definitely. All right. I want to jump back to coaching and ask you a question about your role about as a mentor and as a coach yourself. What has been the hardest part for you? And then follow follow that. I guess you can decide which order you'd like to respond. But I'd also like to know what your favorite part is about it. So what's hmm. the hardest thing and what's your favorite part about being a coach and a mentor? My favorite part, my favorite part, (laughs) (laughs) it it really is gratifying. It's extremely gratifying to to watch people come into their own, to help people, because all you really do as a coach is you, you maybe clear the path a little bit and then they can run down it. But it's so gratifying to watch people do that. And I love nothing more than when somebody comes back to me five years, 10 years later and says, what a difference. I was able to make. And the funny thing is, it's not about what I did. It's about what they did. They did the work of coaching. I just asked a few questions. <laughs> but it's still extremely gratifying to see that happen and, and to know that you had that small part in helping them find the success that they wanted. Definitely. The hardest part is 
not having enough capacity with all the other things that that happen in our business um i don't get to do as much mentoring and coaching as i used to in fact i turned down a mentoring connection just a few days ago and i just i with the travel that i'm doing i i didn't feel that i could be the mentor that this person needed couldn't devote the time that that they needed and right now i'm only working with a maximum of five coaching clients at a time so I miss out on some of that gratification. Mm -hmm. In fact, so much so that I, I sometimes think about shifting to doing coaching full time. But um, wow, that'd be there cool. yet. That it would be cool. cool. Yeah. But then there's this whole business to to run and all these other <laughs> cool things that I would probably miss. But oh, yeah, I mean, that is kind of the fantasy part. You know, <laughs> uh, that's what I'll eventually do. At, at the end of my career, that's probably what I'll end up doing. Awesome. Well, that'll be a great thing then for to look forward to, right? Yeah. Yeah. And right now you're having so much fun. I was going to say, really what you need is a couple clones, but we're not there either yet. <laughs> <laughs> no. And I'm very blessed to have an incredible team around me. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do like to keep my hands in things, which because they're fun. Definitely. Oh, I agree with you. It It's difficult. And I understand where you're coming from to that capacity, you know, just kind of being a little bit all over the place with the work that I do. There's certain things that I absolutely love doing and wish I could do more of, but you just can't fit everything in. So you've got to kind of set your priorities to what's the most important, right? Yes. Agreed. Yes, ma'am. All right. So I have a couple sales leader questions for you from the kind of sales side because you have an experience in sales, obviously, and you've trained salespeople and this is kind of the, the heart of all of it. So I was wondering, what does it take to be a leader in sales? Well, if it's okay with you, I think I'll answer this in two pieces. I'm pretty sure what you're asking about is what does it mean to be someone who manages a sales team or is the director of the sales function? Sure. Yeah, that's a good okay. take on it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let me let me answer that part first and then I want to expand on that just a little bit. So the word the word lead, I told you I like word origins. Um, that word actually comes from Middle French Leiden, and the word lead means to guide. That was its original meaning. Mm -hmm. So if you think about as a leader of a sales team, if you were to guide people and if you were also going to be wearing a coaching hat so that you're extracting things from them, those two things have a lot in common. It then suggests how you would go about doing the work versus being a sales manager who manages the day-to-day -day tasks and is probably needing to be right on top of them to get things done. But guide, if I'm a guide, that means that I'm taking you someplace you haven't been before. I, I kind of have this visual of walking through the forest with a machete of uh, the jungle, and I'm cutting down the vines, <laughs> you know, clearing the way so that you can see the pathway. And then I just need to get out of your way. I've guided you. I've cleared the path. And that's your future. That's, that's all the incredible stuff that's out there in front of you that you get to go and, and, and grab. And I've extracted along the way through my coaching, I've extracted what it is that you want to accomplish and what it takes for you to be motivated. And now I've cleared the path so you can go and, and get that. To me, that's what the best leaders in sales are doing. They're not relying on positional power and authority. They're not micromanaging. They're not barking out orders every day. They're not screaming about commission and quotas. They're inspiring people mm -hmm. because they're guiding and, and extracting. Love it. Well, that was the... I could not have asked for a better response to that question. I, oh. and I especially love that you love words as much as I do. 
I, that's what I really couldn't stop thinking the whole time was I kept thinking about um, when I was in grad school, I took a course called the History of the English Language. Now, granted, I was an English major in undergrad and in grad school, so it made sense that I was taking that class. But uh, there was a really great book that we read. It was called The Mother Tongue, English oh. and How It Got That Way by Bill Bryson. Have you read that book? I have not, but I'm writing it down. It is a wonderful book. He has this really interesting humor too, where it's kind of like funny at the same time, but he's very also serious. So it's a really, it's a really great book. And it talks about the history of English, where it started and how it got to where it is now. And it really goes into a lot of cool stuff about dialects. And so I think that if you're into linguistics and English as a language, you'll, you'll like that book. Check it out. Thank you. Oh, I, I read every book that's ever recommended to me. So Bill Bryson, he's going to make a sale today. There you okay. go. <laughs> but yeah, so that was, that was a, you, you got me thinking about that. Now, I love your focus on leaders leading, which is in, in the word, which makes sense, right? Rather than being a, a dictator or kind of telling people what to do and being very controlling. Now, I want to switch gears to the salesperson. What can salespeople do right now today when they are done listening to this podcast, what can they do right now to improve themselves, either improve the bottom line, improve as a human being? What can they do? Well, it's all wrapped up in that definition of leadership. And that's this is what Stop Selling and Start Leading is about because it's what buyers want. Buyers want sellers to demonstrate the behaviors that we more typically associate with leadership. And this comes from the work of my co-authors, Jim Kuzis and Barry Posner. The five practices of exemplary leadership help you to know how to guide. So whether you are a sales manager guiding a sales team or a salesperson guiding a buyer, there are these five practices that make it so much easier and so much more exciting. People will want to willingly choose to follow you and to go to those great places and those possibilities that you're showing them. So the advice for salespeople, what they can do right now to improve their bottom line is to make a mental shift to think of themselves as leaders, as guides, awesome. to liberate the leader that's already there inside of them. Don't wait for some title or somebody to imbue you with some sort of authority because that's not real leadership. Mm -hmm. Leadership is about guiding people. And if you'll do that, instead of focusing as much on the commissions and the quotas and the buyers are um, people who are, are causing your problems, if, instead of thinking about it that way, you are a guide and you're going to take those buyers to the places they want to go and they will reward those behaviors. They, they told us so and we've measured it. We've seen it in over 500 seller stories. Buyers reward sellers who exhibit leadership behaviors. Awesome. That is great advice. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, thank you. <laughs> awesome. And now what about books? We have talked a little bit. We obviously have spoken about discover questions and we have talked about stop selling and start leading. What other books do you recommend? Well, it, given that our topic today is targeting or th this month, that's, that's somewhat of the theme. I think one of the best books out there and it's been around probably seven years now or so. It's a, a really, really good book with immediate strategies you can use to grow your business. And I mean, your business, if, if you're a salesperson or your business, if you're a business owner, it, whatever the case. And that book is called The Sales Magnet. It's by okay. Kendra Lee. Okay. Um, and it's, um, 
it's sort of a precursor to inbound marketing. It's um, no matter what your sales process or your, your marketing inbound outbound strategies, there are tips in this book, really practical, actionable tips that you can use right away. So that's, that's top of my list for, for targeting. Okay, perfect. I love it. Any other ones that you wanted to throw out there? Well, you know, Joanne Black, uh, Pick Up the Damn Phone is her book. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I have not heard that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's just about, well, you know, Joanne is the queen of of referral selling. And so how do you get referrals and how do you then follow up on those referrals and how much easier you can make it to uh, target and grow your business if you are thinking about referrals and then taking the the action of simply picking up the phone to, to call people. Awesome. I love it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go get this just from the name alone. That made me laugh. <laughs> it's a great book. <laughs> I love funny stuff. Humor. I love humor. I love jokes. Actually, I'm going to ask you that. This is a question that I ask on a lot of the podcasts and it's something that's pretty new that I've started doing is asking if you have any really funny sales stories. Do you have any really funny incidents that have happened recently or in the even in the past that were just so funny that are you won't feel like sharing it? <laughs> I, I will tell you a story. Um, it's it's only funny in retrospect. It was not funny at the time, but everybody can have a good laugh at my expense. Okay. Cool. So <laughs> it was when I was pretty new in selling. So this is an oldie but goodie. And uh, I had a territory that had been underserved in the past. It, it literally had maybe two or three businesses that were advertising. And that was my territory. My job was to go out and find 40 plus advertisers in that territory and, and to grow it. This particular territory was a little bit oh, rural, and it had three really big businesses. It had had some car dealerships and some others, but three big businesses that I had my sights set on, and those were all gun dealers. They, they sold guns and ammo, Okay, and they advertised a lot on TV and in the competitive media, so I, I knew they had good budgets. So I made it my mission to, to go and sell these gun stores into advertising in the newspaper. Okay. And I found out pretty quickly from two of them that if they, if the third guy would buy, they'd buy two. So <laughs> I decided he was, was going to be my best friend. And I, you know, I got to know what kind of coffee he liked. And I was in there at least once a week, talking to him about the paper, learning about his business, doing anything and everything I could to help him make a move to advertise with me. Mm-hmm. And this went on for months. And one day he said to me, all right, Three o'clock today, I'll meet you down at your main location. So down, I worked in a bureau, but downtown there was a, the main building. I'll meet you down there at three o'clock today, and, uh, and we can talk then. And I was like ecstatic. You know, this mm-hmm. breakthrough, this is going to be awesome. Everything's made. I was already adding up the, what am I going to do with this money? I needed a new car. I was sure this was going to be the down payment. You know, it was, it was all good. And then I got stuck in traffic, and I was actually a few minutes late to the meeting. But as I rounded the corner to come up on the building, I noticed that there were a lot of, of uh, picketers. So I was really stressed because was I going to be able to park and get in there to meet with them, people who were picketing right around the newspaper. Mm-hmm. And then I saw him. I saw the guy. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Yep. What I didn't know is that he was the local president or something of the NRA. He was leading this protest against the newspaper oh, for their position. No. 
And he saw me about the same time I saw him, and he literally doubled over laughing, and he was elbowing the guy next to him and pointing at me. I was so humiliated. Oh, my gosh. So he took you for a fun run there. <laughs> oh, he did. He did. You know, and so I had to go back and like to the office and, and lick my wounds, and I was just, I was devastated. And I, oh. I'm never calling on him again. How could you do that to me? <laughs> oh, my gosh. So did you end up calling him after that? I did. My, my boss said, look. Good for you. Um, there you go. You know, yeah. And I went back in eventually after I, you know, girded myself up, I went back in and I said, look, if you believe that strongly about your position with the NRA, why don't you tell your story? At that time, it was very true that more people read the newspaper than any other media available. If you want to tell your story, you're going to have to do it in the newspaper. Otherwise, the newspaper has an advantage that you don't. Mm -hmm. And so I sold him ads, but for a very different reason than initially he he did eventually come around and advertise the gun store too there you but initially go. these you, were political you, ads that he was placing yep got the sale even he respected all- me i walked back in and the, and he said i didn't expect to see you in here so wow. that was the first thing was the respect wow that is awesome and you know that is such a huge lesson for our sales folks that are listening too is that persistence and knowing you know that we as salespeople have to have to like put ourselves in the other person's shoes and sometimes we have to swallow our own pride and walk back in there even when we feel too embarrassed or like we're never going to win it it's all about that persistence you know persistency and you don't just end a relationship out of nowhere that goes to show what the type of salesperson that you would be that you quit on them and I like that you kept going after it that's amazing well, yeah, it's it, to me, it's about persevering. So I had a mission. I had a real purpose. And I then saw something that was going to be a purpose for him. And it's not that I just kept buzzing around like a, a nuisance fly, which maybe he thought I had been before then. Mm-hmm. But now I had something really of value and I could persevere and I could, even when the going got tough, I could, you know, get in there and, and show him that I believed in the cause, the purpose, yeah, the mission. Yeah. In a way, it probably almost makes that whole situation and the way that things went down definitely worked to the benefit for all of you guys that were involved, for him, for you, for the relationship between you guys, because what what ended up happening through it is he ended up promoting his business and it sounds like he was able to get his voice out there a little bit, which none of this would have happened had you not pursued this opportunity. Exactly. I mean, there was even there were even other benefits. Like I found co-op advertising money for him, which meant he basically got free and subsidized advertising from bullet makers and just all kinds of stuff that I never expected to know about. But um, yeah, yeah, it all (laughs) it all worked out very well for for them, too. Very good. Well, I love that story. I'm I'm so glad I asked this question because you had a great story. Very cool. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and only funny years later. <laughs> yeah, that's how, usually how it goes. <laughs> yes, yes. It's never funny in the moment for us. We're always like, oh, man, no, this is the worst. But looking back, mm-hmm. what a lesson and what a great one, too. And now, yes. of course, here at CFS, we talk quite a bit about sales playbooks. And we're always looking for useful tips for our sales managers, for CEOs and salespeople to share in their sales playbooks or use. Deb, do you have an actionable tip that our listeners might consider adding to their playbook? I have a wraparound tip. So whatever is in your playbook, this might be something that could help you balance everything that's in there. And it's just my number one rule of selling. And I use it in managing my business too. And the rule, it's a formula. The formula is E equals O. 
And that stands for effort equals opportunity. Mm. So when I decide, am I going to spend time on X, Y, or Z, I allocate that time based on the size of the opportunity between those three choices. And if I'm prospecting, do I stop after three calls or 10 calls or 50 calls? Do I do 10 minutes worth of pre-call research and planning or half an hour? All of those questions get answered by what's the size of the opportunity. My effort is going to be proportionate to the size of the opportunity. Awesome. That was a great tip. And it definitely goes along with the whole idea that you get what you focus on, right? Yes. I feel like that's been my mantra this year because I had a tough first quarter and then realized I was too spread too thin in too many different areas and had to really sit down and say, all right, what do do I need to stop doing in order to focus my energy on what is important? And, you know, that made such a huge shift. So I love that you you have this as your all-encompassing tip. Focus on the one thing that is the most important to you. And can you rephrase how you said that E equals O? E equals O, effort equals opportunity. And every single thing that you allocate time to The amount of time you allocate should be very deliberate and thoughtful, and it should be proportionate to the opportunity. That's how you save time and and get a lot more done. Awesome. Now, Deb, do you have any last words, final words for our audience today? Anything that you would like to impart? Well, whether you're selling or whether you're coaching or whether you're leading, I think one more piece that we didn't talk too much about, but I believe it's imperative, is that it's it's an art. It's got to be about you and your authentic self. So where management is a science and you can go and get a degree and read a book and know the techniques, leadership is an art. And the reason is that it's expressed differently by every single person who ever leads. Same is true with selling. So find your authentic self and don't ever sacrifice that to the the techniques or the stereotypes. Amazing. Thank you so much, Deb. Thank you. And thank you so much to our listeners for Tuning in for today's show, you can find the show notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 101. Tune in next week when we will be continuing the conversation on targeting with a CFS roundtable. And all month we're writing about targeting on the CFS blog. So check that out at criteriaforsuccess.com forward slash blog. And I'd like to take a moment to thank all of our listeners of Let's Talk Sales. 101 episodes has flown by and We have all been having so much fun over here. I have been having so much fun. And I really hope that this podcast series has been bringing value to your life and that it's helped you to grow as a person. So I'd like to ask you today, what has been your biggest takeaway or breakthrough from listening to Let's Talk Sales? I would love to hear from you. I would love to hear your stories. Please shoot me an email at podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com and share your story. I'd love to hear it. And again, you know, this has just been such an amazing thing for us here at CFS. And thank you for being part of it. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is produced by myself here, Rebecca Toomey, by Mariana Miskell, and Elizabeth Frederick. Happy selling, everyone.